Music starts in the mind and the heart continues in time forever as art and recording can either be tough and annoying or something that's clearly more lush and rewarding. It's gotta be better than just good or great. It needs to hit hard like Bay Ruth at the plate. From rock, hip hop, and dance music to blues or pop, hard bop, and swing music, you choose. As a working musician, I can truly relate. So let's rap about your project and schedule a date. My name is Matt Williams, producer at The Eagle Room. I'm grateful to have helped so many artists create their music in this wonderful space, where together we have the talent and tools to bring ideas into reality. The Eagle Room is an efficient, full production recording studio with in-house mixing and mastering, high-quality equipment, and award-winning attention to detail. Visit TheEagleRoom.com to find out more. Welcome to another edition of the Asheville Sound. I am your host, John Lauderer. Today we are joined by the incomparable Shane Parrish. All right, I'm here with Mr. Shane Parrish. How you doing, Shane? Good. Really glad to have you on the show. Um, I'm a, a longtime fan and admirer of your work. Um, and I was trying to think of the last time or the first time I saw you. And I think it was in Wilmington at a club called Reggie's uh, with the trio Lucetistas. Wow. Do you remember that at all? That was a long time ago. I mean, I didn't until just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I was actually sharing a bill. I was in this kind of um, – generic uh power trio rock band that went on right before you what was it called uh i think it was called swede it, it was very forgettable um and okay. i was just glad i didn't have to follow you after that show because oh, you just like annihilated the the room uh, and this oh. was this was like a, a classic bar room mostly full of you know pool tables and uh usually not that kind of music happening in there and i just remember you guys just made everybody just stop and and stop what they were doing and pay attention and that's the first time i'd seen that happen there oh cool man <laughs> yeah Thanks. yeah wow. that was really cool um was fun. and then since then i've seen you many times uh, i think the next time i saw you was in nashville tennessee i was living there and you guys played that rock club near the freeway i can't remember the name of it oh wow it was all black i just i think it's been torn down since yeah yeah With yeah that's right yep so Wait, you were living in Wilmington and in Nashville? Yeah, I know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I grew, I, I grew up here. Um, yeah, okay. And then I moved away for college, and then I was in Wilmington for seven years uh, going to school, music school, and uh, and then moved to Nashville trying to break in the scene there for four years, uh, and then eventually landed back in my hometown. Cool. Yeah, wow. and I've seen you guys play many times at the Moth Light, mostly. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, which is appreciate that. a great venue for you guys. Uh, yeah, but I think yeah. the most moving show I saw you play was the Moog Fest at Diana Wortham. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, that one was just out. You guys pulled out all the stops and the lights that were corresponding to the music of the background stuff you had going on was, uh, oh, wow. man, that was that was huge. That, that really changed you. me. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that was like, cause we don't, we've done, you know, like the small percentage of our shows where like with that level of production, you know, whether if it's like a festival or we had some like good opening gigs, you know, so it's, yeah, the, a gig like that was, that you know, just 
to have that sound reinforcement and that that kind of just perfect lighting and everything and you know super dialed in like theater yeah really, i'd never really seen uh, any kind of mm, you know more voluminous uh, bands playing there before so that was really cool to actually hear you guys at full capacity like that because you know the moth cool. light's cool and all but you know it's 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 like a medium-sized sound system but dino totally, earth yeah. was huge yeah 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 just like blasting it yeah yeah that's awesome but real quick, I'll give Moth Light a shout out. I hope they they come back strong after this is all over because they're one they're one of my favorite venues and probably Absolutely. yours too. Absolutely, yeah, me too. Yeah, I love Moth Light so much, and uh, I know that they're you know uh, very important to the community and that they're eager to, to come back whenever it's safe, you know, for everybody in whatever capacity. Yeah, I hear you. Um, that's that's the one venue I really want to make it. Um, so we wish them the best. Uh, so in all my previous guests, I've uh, done my best to, to go through their, their past discography and get to know their material as best I can. But in digging deeper for you, you have so much work out there, it's impossible to really even scratch the surface. It's, <laughs> it's, you're so uh, you know, prolific in your work, and it seems like you probably, this is all you do in all your waking hours is make music. And... Uh, uh, you have so many projects and, and duos that uh, I was I was kind of astounded when I was looking up deeper into your your um, backstory that there's a lot out there that I still need to get into. Um, I mean, I've seen you, of course, Lucetis as many time, and I've heard your uh, solo acoustic pieces, um, and I've also seen your duo with uh, Tetsuya and Nakatani, which is amazing. Um, but I didn't know about the other ones you had, and I've been getting into those as well. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah, so uh, going back a little bit, I know that um, Lushtistas formed around 2002. Uh, are you a native, or where are you from originally? I, uh, no, we moved to Asheville in 2001, okay. actually. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, from Florida. Okay. And um, Courtney and I, my wife, mm-hmm. um, moved together. And uh, so almost 20 years. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then Lushtistas formed pretty pretty quick you know i started playing music around town and mm-hmm. and uh wanted to i don't know play some prog rock or something yeah know? but what you or guys do is you it's know, so different whatever. so yeah so how'd you find like-minded individuals to uh to, to fuel your um yeah, your uh, uh, intended vision um well interestingly the, the original bass player derek petit you know he's Marion native and okay. one of the first things that I did when I got to town was get a mountain express mm-hmm. and uh and kind of look in uh you know the classifieds because uh, this is before social media you know and uh and 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 look for musicians seeking musicians mm-hmm. and and he had run an ad that said something like looking for you know musician to make you know out of this world music and it was a cool it was a cool little blurb and, and I called him on the phone and, and we hit it off and talked about, uh, you know, just a lot of different influences and whatnot. I mm. think at the time we were probably talking about like Miles Davis, mm. like bitches brew meets like, I don't know, King Crimson and Tool or something, or just, you know, nice. just kind of like a, he- a heavier thing that involved like free jazz, like, mm-hmm. like massacre or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then we, um, and we formed a trio called the Hibernacular Trio with uh, me and Derek and his like childhood friend Marshall Grant on drums, who mm-hmm. had a 
music store out in Marion. And so that, that was kind of just like a heavy improv band, like improv rock, like almost like King Crimson, like projects or, mm. or, you know, like massacre. And then, mm. and then that kind of like fell apart. And I was start and I started to kind of play in like, um, like a hardcore band, uh, called shovel fight. Oh. Um, and, uh, I, I was coming, it was my first punk band. You know, I, I kind of came from, a influence wise, you know, more of a jazz background. Mm. Um, I didn't really, um, you know, study in school or anything, but I was just a big jazz fan and like mm. trying to, you know, play Coltrane tunes and stuff like that on guitar and just get into like, um, music through an improvised kind of like experimental creative dimension. Mm. And I think I, I, but I was a huge John Zorn fan already at the mm. time and, uh, I had moved here and, and so, you know, I thought there, there was a whole ethos around like Naked City and some of that heavier, oh, like yeah. kind of jazz meets like hardcore and thrash. And so that was like mm. actually my entry into having, like, I mean, I like punk rock music growing up. I listened to like, you know, Dead Kennedys and the Ramones. Mm. Fugazi was one of my favorite bands. But, oh, yeah. you know, but I, but I was like, basically, when I got to Asheville, I was like, you know, I started kind of being on, on the, like, kind of entered into like the punk scene or whatever. And so. I uh, joined the, this hardcore band and uh, and then and then was playing started playing house shows you know so kind of got into the whole DIY house show scene. And, yeah, because at that time to, there weren't yeah. many venues in town, right? Yeah, Vincent Zier was here. Yeah, and um, but um, and yeah, I don't know. I didn't and also I didn't even know how to begin with any of that. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was like you know, and I was still I think kind of getting my chops together in a lot of ways in terms of like eventually becoming like a professional musician you right. know because of, of working in kitchens and stuff mm. and like um and uh yeah so so then i i ran uh, i remember like playing a house show and seeing sean dale on drums mm. i actually had an original formation of lucha Chises with this guy dave marks i was going i uh that i met i started going to tc uh, tcc what i'm talking about uh unca mm. um for um and just like taking a few music classes there mm-hmm. and well i got like a philosophy degree and uh yeah. and my this guy dave marks played was playing bass and my friend uh, mike horgan was playing drums and that was the original aluchatistas lineup but then quickly Derek petit kind of came back in the fold on bass and then i saw sean dale play drums when he was 19 years old at this house show in a band called resurrectum that was like this like um grindcore kind of punk band and I, and I just heard him from I remember it was like a full room so I was kind of in the kitchen and I remember just sitting there listening to this drummer I couldn't even see him and I was like oh my god you know like I was like who is this guy you know I have mm. to play music with this person you know right. and uh and then and then we met and then it turns out he had all these obscure tastes and prog rock interests like mm. fan of all these like weird Cairnform record bands and stuff and, and so we hit it off and then kind of got then he kind of ended up taking over on drums and I had already had like a few tunes written or ideas you know, mostly flushed out and mm. and we just kind of got to work, you know, and in the first, you know, I don't even, it was so organic too, because I had, there was no ambition around like what we were going to do, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's no like grand plan. As, yeah. I mean, it was like, I want to make this music, you know, yeah. like I've always wanted to like kind of push that, those influences, I think, or, you know, even just like they've, I've just gravitated towards that playing that, even though I mostly probably don't listen to a lot of constant, I'm not like constantly listening to like <laughs> really difficult music or anything, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, um, you know, just kind of what comes out in this natural way. And, 
and uh, and yeah, so we just started playing shows, and it went, and then and that's when Vincent Zero became like a home base, yeah, for like really supporting us. And you know, Rick Morris, when I first moved to Asheville, before Los Jesus Four, I went into Vincent Zero, and he was you know running that place, and and I remember going in and talking to him the first time I went in there, I talked about music, and I was like, you know, asking if he was familiar with certain artists and you know he's kind of scoffed at me like oh am i familiar it's classic <laughs> you know like who's this you kid? Know, who's, yeah mark repo of course right. you know just kind of, just kind of <laughs> you know like I'm like have you ever heard of and he just like kind of laughed me but it was also like this like he in that very conversation said this is your home do whatever you want here you yeah. know like this we're gonna give you this like stage and do your thing you know and so that was just amazing because i came from florida tallahassee florida where i lived for three years and you know i had a pretty some pretty incredible collaborations going on there that you know just was were falling on deaf ears you know Mm -hmm. and 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 just you know you could get like eight people to a gig you know and then here we're playing a bit sincere and you know full room like 70 people you know or playing like you know packed out house shows there was just like an energy in north carolina mm-hmm. that i had not seen in florida like at shows like mm-hmm. where it was just this enthusiasm everyone's standing everyone's rocking out people are dancing and people mm-hmm. are just like freaking out at the show you know mm-hmm. and like i had not and it was such it was so refreshing to like you know and to be able to like participate in that and just, uh, yeah so it was pretty cool awesome those are the early days <laughs> Yeah, those those are our special days before, you know, technology really took over and people were uh, kind of unbound in their enthusiasm. Uh, you know, now, yeah. of course, everybody is so stationary and, and so used to looking down all the time and not really in, involving themselves in what's happening around them. Uh, so shows have changed over those over these many years that you've, you've probably seen. You know, back yeah, then, yeah. people were more willing to really express themselves. And, and now people are, are more... Um, prone to just you know uh, being a passive observer um, yeah it's kind of it's hard to it's interesting yet to feed off of that mm-hmm. it is. energy yeah. you know it's yeah. different yeah i know having like yeah it's interesting too because like we've uh we've done a lot of gigs overseas you know and and there's still like um there's like a pretty like different vibe in, in certain countries where it's like you still get that kind of like yeah just full uh you know, throttle like emotional yeah. catharsis going on in the audience if the show's like happening, and then you just feed off of that. I've noticed and that it, watching concert films from like South America and Europe, like, they still really get into it. Uh, totally, yeah. Amer- American audiences. I'm not sure what uh-huh. crawled up their butt, but right. I know, right? <laughs> I've never seen. I saw Kraftwerk at like Mozart like a few years. Yeah, ago, I was there. Six, yep. seven years ago, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I had this like fantasy in my mind of like dancing at the Kraftwerk show at the <laughs> festival, like you see, like oh, at some outdoor festival in Germany or something. You know, <laughs> and it was just like we're just sitting there like watching a movie and some guys standing on stage, and it was great. I loved, it, but it was also like I was like, this move music makes me want. Like, I have to move to it, you know? You yeah. know, it's this, like, subdued, like, you know, pulsy kind of electronic stuff. It just has this, like, some, you know, it was just funny because, but, uh... Yeah, yeah, that, that show was that, that show was really unique. Uh, <laughs> I remember, you know, it's, it's brilliant. Of course, there's an element of cheese in there, but, you know, that's kind of the brilliance of it, too. And they were such, you know, pioneers in the electronic music oh, yeah. field. That you got to give them so much credit for what's happening now, electronically. Oh, yeah. yeah, that show was it was like retro futurism, yeah. though, right? Yeah, it was. It was like it was. It was totally just or like like antiquated futurism. Yeah, it was like <laughs> and, an Atari like game. Deliberate. Yeah, yeah. come to life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
That was, that was awesome. I, I missed the Moog Fest, man. I wish I wish it was still here. There was so many great oh, shows. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Uh, um, maybe one day the, the city will, will change their ways and bring back some uh, festivals. Um, so uh, Alushatista has, of course, morphed over the years. Uh, you were a trio for the first four or so records, uh, and then you morphed into a duo, and Ryan Oslins came into the picture. Right. Um, and uh, I'm a percussionist, and watching Ryan play is like I, I have a hard time describing it. It's <laughs> it's it's so inspiring, and just, it, you just all you can do is stand there with your mouth open and wonder, you know, how is this happening, and how how is this guy able to make all these sounds by himself? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty insane, and and the way you guys play off each other is uh, is really unique and I, I, I just love it and it's always different too you know yeah and because yeah. and, and, you guys of course you work in uh, improvisation of course you have your forms you work within uh but you always put a different slant on it and that's that's why i always love to come seeing you guys because it was never the same it was always something else i was wondering which elusive was going to show up this night yeah, yeah. <laughs> i appreciate that yeah yeah and how you were able to fill up so much you know textural room uh, being just two musicians as well, the the way you use your loops and you play on top of that uh, and fill up, you know, b- all the highs and the lows. Being there's no bass player, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that that's Thank you so much. that's rare to see a duo really be able to pull that off. And that's one of the things I loved about you guys. Um, and I know that um, Ryan uh, is doing other things, and you're doing other things now. Uh, I saw yeah. that you had uh, changed the name to Lighted Stairs. Did anything happen under that name? Uh, so, yeah, you know, we've just, you know, as you get older, uh, <laughs> things that, you know, I have a family and stuff and, yeah. and then, uh, and, you know, I've kind of reduced my touring schedule a lot just so I could be yeah. uh, a father mm-hmm. and, um, which, um, has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, we, um, slowed down a bit, I think. Um, and then he's, you know, as a percussionist for hires getting you know he's doing a lot of work mm-hmm. out in with other in other genres with other musicians going on tour with like kishibashi and mm-hmm. he's been playing with the dead dead tongues and he's been doing um you know he's but he, and he's always done that i mean he's that's how he makes a living so mm-hmm. um and just also a lot of geographic such separation between us mm-hmm. has been often the case because he, he's a pretty avid explorer backpacker kind of yeah you know you know like he, he spends a lot of time you know i think that he, i and i've heard him say this was a long time ago that you know he's you know like pretty much 50 50 in terms of his interests you know yeah as a green musician and then 50 percent of like i want to be like out in nature you know and, yeah and, Grizzly you know, so, and um so and so and that's actually was really been healthy for us in terms of our um relationship and our growth over the last 10 plus years of collaborating because mm. we had initially, you know, he moved to Asheville to join Alucatistas. Right. Um, and, you know, and he was like 24 or something, like 23. And, uh, and he, uh, you know, we um, did a lot of work together. We worked as a trio for a while, then became the duo, put out some records, did a lot of touring. And, and but it, even within all that, he had a lot, there's a lot of, there were these downtime periods, like six months built mm. into all that. And which I think, and then whenever we came back, they were, we had like a fresh energy and momentum both had grown in different ways. And, and so I think that, you know, the chemistry was there from the get go, but, but we also honed it with some pretty extensive 
touring together, which I think you can't really duplicate what that does for a musical relationship. When we, you know, we did like we do three weeks here, three weeks there, but we did like two two month tour of Europe one yeah. time. You know, just we were just like really just playing a lot, a lot of shows to the point where it's like we got we weren't thinking at all we could really like mm-hmm. just you know and become be an organism you know mm-hmm. and um and so there's been and, and then in recent years the distance has grown but we're still friends we're still collaborators but um it became a kind of thing where i felt like i was sitting on my hands a little bit in terms of Luchatistas as a project that i started like almost 20 years ago mm-hmm. you know uh as a, like a compositional outlet and the and the collaboration but it, you know, but built it in you know in a straight in a way it becomes like, you know part part of the you know piece of the puzzle of my like business, my family business, and, mm-hmm. and what I do like creatively, and and it felt like we were n- not connecting, and yet at the same time we still want to play together and be friends. But I would like to be able to yeah. compose, you know, and 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 harness the potential of the of that project which has which has morphed and evolved so many times and i don't think Mm -hmm. you know that people are going to go along for the ride you know and people there's fans out there that are like only like the first couple records with the first trio you know and Mm -hmm. and and, it didn't really but uh, but i think that a lot of people people are open to hearing all kinds of music so anyway I, i wanted to kind of be able to carry it forth and like envision something and not feel like i was um you know like pushing him to the side or that we were having some kind of you know like uh, you know that doing something that would kind of seem like there was some kind of drama or there was some mm-hmm. kind of like you know like um, or just like betray him or something like that you know so we you know we kind of came to this like, mutual conclusion that we needed to like figure that out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know uh, and because um, you know if I wanted to put a plan in motion for it you know we do a lot of other side projects uh, you know i wanted just to be out in the open what was happening so hmm. so we thought to like kind of collectivize the band which i think in a nutshell has just meant that like you know like the luch thesis project can be like whatever it happens to be at the time without that you know our our thing being kind of the brand of it or something you know and lighted stairs was a song you know that was really strong production on our album heads full of poison mm-hmm. that we played a lot and, and that we felt we kind of settled on that as like a name for like our continuing work together okay um you know as and so lighted stairs would be me and ryan and then luch thesis would be me and ryan or whoever whomever you know like is is um working on it at the time you know okay um, so luch thesis and- is uh, not dead but just taking a nap right yeah, yeah. I'm okay. actually working pretty steady on uh, right now. I've finally honed my uh, focus on it, and so I'm composing music and bouncing recordings with a drummer named Danny Pychaki. Okay. Um, and uh, we actually put a single out just like on like some streaming services and stuff. Like I guess earlier this year or late last year. Um, that was like was it the Mister Rogers name. tune? Yeah, Mister Rogers Waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, but um, but we didn't really. You know, I'm now working on like a record and and hmm. uh, and composing again. I okay. also felt like I've been in a state of research and development for the last like ten years. Yeah, well, maybe my whole life, but maybe like I've been trying to like what's going to be like the next sort of like plateau of like where I can like write and feel like I'm realizing an evolution of what happened because I, I don't really want to you know continue to play. Yeah the same tunes right. like or the same or, the, or, or be at the same working within the same 
um, kind of material. Yeah. Um, well, in listening to all your material you have out there, it's obvious that you are not a one-dimensional musician. There's so many sides to your style, and uh, for fans of yours, they know that uh, there's the electric chain and there's the acoustic chain for the most part. Um, and your acoustic work, uh, a lot of it uh, is an homage to uh, American folk music and blues. Uh, and you put a really cool spin on these old tunes. Uh, what led you down that road initially? Yeah, um, I, uh, when I was, um, let's see, it was not long after, after my daughter was born, I kind of changed my, you know, lifestyle up a bit, you know, because you have to, if you have kids. And yeah, I do. Yeah. You want it, and you want to be, uh, you want to be there, a part of your life, right. uh, and, and, and then a part of your life. Uh, so I decided, okay, I'm gonna, you know, stop gigging around town so much. Uh, like I had regular gigs at some restaurants and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was playing like three, four nights a week, and a lot of that was like kind of like jazz gigs and stuff. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, some classical stuff or whatever, and just some solo guitar gigs. But, like, it was basically, like, you know, I, I said, oh, I'll just stop doing that, and I'll take more students to kind of, like, supplement the income or whatever, which ends up, of course, paying more because, <laughs> like, a dinner gig, typically, right. you know, like, and, you know, it's, you know, it's just a little bit less set up and tear down. Yeah. So I'm not, like, teaching all day and then gigging at night. Right. So, so that, like, led to this, like, situation which I hadn't had in, like, a decade or, you know, where I didn't have to, like, maintain any kind of repertoire, uh, you know, or, or think about it. You know, I wasn't and, – and so I, I kind of dropped, like, anything I was playing, and I stopped working on songs and uh, – or learning songs. And, and, I, and I got into this, this like, headspace of uh, just working on, like, pure, like, kinesthetic feel kind of exercises, almost, like, meditative kind of, like, tactile – approach to guitar that involved like playing one note for like 45 minutes mm-hmm. and doing you know getting into these kind of deeper states of of of, of like uh um of awareness about the like what muscles are being activated and what like the color of the sound is if i play it here and turn my hand slightly this way you know just like getting into these mm-hmm. like really this this like state of like no wasn't no content you know just like working on like timbre sound and yeah. like and and like embodiment you know and mm-hmm. and it was and, that, and it was a, a period of several months where i actually did that uh like i think like three or four months of, uh, and um and kind of coming out of that i at towards the end of that that period that like monastic period i had a i just kind of opened this folk book um, that I had like happy trams, uh, you know, folk song, uh, country, country blues or something, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I just like, like kind of sight read through like about 16 of the tunes in there and recorded it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always, I like all kinds of music. I mean, I Bob Dylan, I grew up on and, you know, I've been like, you know, really, you know, I'm, you know, I listen to everything. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big part of my life, you know, yeah. just like folk songs, singers, songwriters, stuff, okay. you know, rock, rock and roll music. I mean, just as far as listening goes, you know, and, and, um, and I, uh, I, yeah, played these tunes and, but I kind of like improvised through them, you know, and some of them I hadn't even heard before, you know, and they, and I had this kind of just, I was, I did it all in about an hour, uh, and listened to it like several times after I recorded it, you know, I spent like, which I never do with like an improvised recording. I usually hear, maybe hear it once and, 
and then I never listened to it again because it's you know it's I, I just kind of I just hearing it back and then I'm done with it. Mm. But this like you know hit me in a way I was like wow it really gave a shape to what I was doing and I felt like my playing had like sort of coalesced. I felt like prior to this like period of like deep kind of focus on pure mechanics and pure like sound I was maybe sort of just kind of like dabbling in a lot of areas you know but not really having like my playing wasn't a cohesive whole and I felt like when I came out of the other side of this period I felt like I had become cohesive with all of my interests that I could like interpret things convincingly in a spontaneous and whimsical way and blend all of my like musical interests into like something unique that didn't feel like forced stylistically or like I was doing some kind of like survey of styles, you know, or genre hopping or something, you know, like it was more, it felt fluid and yet still like injected with like humor and references and all these things, but maybe in a, in a more like off the cuff kind of way, not like being so, you know, um, uh, overly deliberate about it if, if that makes sense you know yeah. like i'm not like not like copy pasting like licks into what i'm doing right that's not how i play that's not how i play some people a lot of people do that and they're really good at it. I, just, I just don't think i'm good at playing licks. <laughs> <laughs> I learned, so i study the lick i learn what they're about and then i kind of just can't i forget them well, yeah. maybe they come out in some twisted way later but like but uh anyway so that's kind of like how i did that demo recording which i didn't didn't really plan for and then i sent it to some people and i'd worked with john zorn before uh who had put out uh a couple of luchatis's albums he reissued our second album and and then did another trio record and Mm -hmm. and i I just i was very like not like uh not wanting to like i I don't know i don't like to bother people generally Mm -hmm. so i'm very i don't like go suck like try to (laughs) famous people and suck up to them or whatever you know i don't like like, most artists are like that yeah yeah, I just don't like, but so when I sent it, I was just like, hey, man, check this out, blah, 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 I don't, sorry to bother you, <laughs> it was very short, and very, like, not, like, don't want anything, just thought this was interesting, you know, yeah. and he, like, came back within hours, mm. was, and just thrilled about it, yeah. like, and just had all these questions, and was like, what, the, oh my gosh, what, let's do a record, you know, and I was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah. wow, that's crazy, <laughs> and it was like this, like, total, everything about that moment was, because kind of just changed my career a lot but and but also you know whatever that is but it just kind of like gave me oh this is like it just validated like this approach and this like this kind of you know and and obviously like just made it more visible and gave gave me more doors opening um to continue to pursue that for me as a player it gave me an avenue to like improvise because i don't actually I don't know. I like free improvisation, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that's necessarily my strong suit. Really? You know? Okay. I mean, whatever. I, I, I don't, I just, I'm not, or maybe I, I just, I'm not as like, um, I like the shape of tunes, you know, even mm-hmm. if you like barely reference them. Yeah. I like some sense of form. Right. So that there's like a target and there's a narrative and then there's like, and you can like, you, I'm interested in like, you know theme and variations and being able yeah. to like recapitulate and 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 these things are like you know and then i can be as like eccentric or as you know weird or as you know emotional as i want within these yeah. zones you know it creates like a pool a palette to work within right and i can get really far away from it i'll sometimes you know i play tunes for 25 minutes or whatever you know and then 
maybe come back to them or maybe not. But mm-hmm. it's like, but there's something there, you know, like some template that's right. in the, you know, and in, uh, in, in the universe, and <laughs> and then and it and it so it gives you this kind of like direction to okay work in. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, long story, but no, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. And uh, and John Zorn, I'm a huge fan as well. Um, I actually found him back in the '90s through uh, Mike Patton because uh, oh, cool. they're collaborators, and I'm a big fan. Uh, yeah. Mr. Bungle and all of his projects. Uh, and Naked City, I remember hearing that and just being, uh, I was just flabbergasted by it. And that, and, and the cover of the album with the dead person on the sidewalk is just like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 I, I, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd never heard anything like that before or seen anything like that. And that, that was such an eye opener. Um, and I'd never heard saxophone played like that either. Um, just so visceral. And, yeah, and that's I remember it. just laughing out loud the first time I heard that. Record. <laughs> I think I was like nineteen. I was, and I just like, I just started just cracking up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, with, this, with the Japanese noise rock screaming stuff, that is pretty hilarious. But at the same time, it's just so violent. Um, oh yeah, and I, yeah. I guess I that's like the intent. The, the, yeah, and just like just the way that they genre hopped because I had never heard that before. Yeah, the know? jazz thrown in there with the metal. And the, yeah, and just like rockabilly, and just like, right. but all all like completely convincing, and like mm-hmm. cl- just super clean and execution. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a game changer, no doubt. And so that's a, that's a great uh, contact to have um, if you're looking to get a uh, avant garde record um, put out there. So uh, his label, uh, the Tazic Records, I guess they're putting out most of your um, your solo uh, acoustic records, right? Uh, they, he just did that one record okay. called Under, Undertaker, Please Drive Slow. Right, and that's the uh, one with the blues tune on it. And that's, yeah, a, that's a good yeah. segue to uh, talk about your take on Dark Was the Night, Cold's the Ground, uh, yeah. which, of course, is a Blind Willie Johnson tune. Um, and uh, I love uh, those old uh, recordings of Blind Willie. Um, uh, and this tune has some different legends behind it. You've probably heard them. Uh, like you know, uh, there was a legend that his house burnt down and he had to sleep, you know, on the ground in his uh, in his burnout house, uh, and that's wow. when that's when he wrote the song. Uh, but then there's another story that just says it wasn't anything like that. He just kind of took that line from an old spiritual tune, 18th century Negro spiritual yeah. tune, and you know, made it his own. Uh, but you know, as you know, the song doesn't have any lyrics. It's just him playing slide and moaning along to it. Right, um, which is such a, a an interesting way to, to I mean, back then anyway, and it was pretty rare for that to be the case. There's not even any lyrics to this song; he's just moaning. Um, yeah, and uh, apparently, you probably know this too. Carl Sagan put this song on the uh, the Voyager record back in the '70s. Yeah. That went out in space is probably out beyond the solar system at this point. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. I love I love that fact. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. As a as a what 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 humanity has to offer <laughs> right yeah yeah that's on there with bach and everything else yeah uh, um so uh, your version of this tune uh is a, a departure of course you're you're influenced by eastern music and microtonal stuff and you can hear that uh, on this track uh so what was your thinking on adapting this song um i uh for like all the tunes when I do these like folk tunes or if I work from like an old recording, you know, I'll, I'll transcribe kind of what's happening, um, with, um, the instrumentation, but 
but I tend to focus more on the vocal mm-hmm. melody. And so I was, um, yeah, really basing it off of more of the vocal melody and with like some references to the guitar part, but not, mm. you know, like, so, and then, um, really just trying to like interpret the human voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that comes across, but, but that's where I, it starts for me, you know, um, when I, whenever I work with like recordings of like old, old blues players or, uh, and whatnot, um, I tend to like try to, you know, stick with the vocal, make it like a fresh arrangement based around the vocal. Okay. Yeah. And then work, and then like a tune like that, I, uh, you know, finding then a tuning that's going to work for the guitar uh, to like be able to, you know, resonate a lot. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> um, that was an open tuning originally, right? Open D. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head what I settled on for it. I think okay. uh, I could, I haven't looked in a notebook in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I haven't played it in a minute. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Great. Well, uh, I want to play some of this tune here for the listeners. This is uh, Shane Parrish's take on Dark Was the Night, Cold's the Ground. Here's Shane Parrish. The next tune we're going to check out is one of the Illustratistas tunes, uh, Sundowning off the uh, Arabado album. Um, so this is a, a quintessential Illustratistas song. Um, how would you describe the, the creative process that went around making this one? Oh, man. Uh, well, let's think about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> making me, making me dive, dive into the, the memory banks here. Let's see. Um, okay, so this song has a couple riffs that it's based around, um, and with Ari Bata, with that record, it was, a, it was a new process for us, um, in that we had had, we had some, like, forms for songs, um, that we had kind of worked out together, um, 
and whereas it was like heads full of poison you know i had i had written a lot of it alone um so when we the music for arivata a lot of that was conceived together mm. and then played a lot on tour so we would be you know whenever before we ever recorded it and so by the time we recorded it um there there was still like this vague sense about all the arrangements um you know because we work tend to work in block form arrangements so you have like sections and yeah. th- and like you were saying earlier you know that's what keeps it interesting for us and i think the audience is that we can mm. play those and have it feel new and fresh whenever we play it mm. but it's yet it's the same song you know yeah. and, and you know working with the same like kind of basic ingredients mm. so with that record we recorded the drums and like the basic substrate of all the tunes like the basic forms of it and then we had the chance to like kind of sit on it for a minute and and so then i composed you know a lot like more um parts in post because we had you know kind of a few months we were just doing it at my house you know uh doing the the, like overdubs and stuff Mm -hmm. because like with with the loop based stuff you know recording loops can be like really flat so i always you know try to multi-track that and get a nice Mm -hmm stereo image and just have it be fuller sounding and, and you know panning and all that so anyway but then we went back and like composed all this stuff uh and then and, and recorded it on the record and then had and then went back and relearned like how could we play the stuff that we did in post right that that tightened up all these songs that made them like more symphonic almost you know like because mm-hmm. then it's like oh now these are all you know you have these the same like basic themes and areas of the song but now there was all this like intricacy that kind of like developed and you can hear that in the song like towards the end with all this kind of like harmonized guitar like mm-hmm. kind of like like riff and stuff um it's you know that was like kind of thought about after it had already been recorded and like composed to it so, and 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 then had to go back and like relearn that later for live shows that was really fun i think it made us into like a it brought us to a new level of performance yeah yeah your your live um takes on the songs and the studio takes are, are different in that regard that you know you're having to do it with the loop and play on top and then you know make it all line up um but yeah. the, the way you pull it off and it's scientific i mean the way you you work all the the effects into the live thing and it, it's so precise. If anyone's ever had to work with loose before, there's very little room for error, and no. <laughs> and, and the drummer has to be right on it because you're, you're the the drummer is pretty much following the loop, and if yeah. he, if he falls off, it's just a train wreck. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's it's risky business for sure, you know, and it, it doesn't always, <laughs> you know, you don't always get you don't always nail it. It's uh, it's that moment of that you know, yeah, setting that first loop is kind of the tightrope. Yeah. Or you, you know, and uh, but then you kind of get it, and you're like yes, or you just totally blow it and then you start over. <laughs> yeah, or you yeah. kind of just grind through it. Hopefully, right. your drummer can like play like some half a beat or something, you know, or yeah. the, you know, some some play in the cracks, you know, face like, through back to the one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to give uh, the listeners uh, some of this tune from the Shutista's Sundowning.
And we're back here with Shane Parrish. Uh, the last tune we're going to hear is uh, one of his songs from his solo album, uh, Child Sleep in the Rain, uh, Chest Cavity Portal. Now, this is uh, a great example of one of your textural, atmospheric um, compositions. Um, is this uh, in collaboration with anyone else? Uh, no, I, it's just a, it's a solo record that I um, okay. that I made. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just I did a lot more instrumentation on it. Like I think that there's like more piano in this track and and some you know and, and uh, some percussion and stuff and, and kind of just um, it was yeah that I uh, it was this album that sort of emerged on my hard drive. <laughs> that was I was like that I thought, you know it was recorded over like a period of years. You know, let's oh. like make it. Like make a song and then like produce it and then kind of forget about it. and then mm-hmm. one day going through everything on there and I realized oh I, I actually have this like album that I produced without in like in the background you yeah. know that was pretty different from anything else I've made and and it's more kind of ambient and, mm-hmm. and kind of has uh you know more other instrumentation on it and, and so yeah it was cool to realize that I was like oh it's cool. You know, yeah. do I hear a marimba pop up in there at one point? Yeah, that's that's what that is. Okay. There, there is a marimba in there. Yeah. Is, that, is that MIDI or real? It's real. Okay. I have a, I've been long term loaned a marimba. Ooh. And, uh, and there's a, I think he's going to come get it pretty soon. <laughs> and I also had a baby grand piano for a while that's on there. That's in the track. That's, um, yep. That was also on, on loan. Like, these are like storage loans. Can you store my baby grand piano? You know, and I'm like, Yes, I <laughs> yeah, and that's a and marimbas are huge too. Is this like a four octave marimba? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and it's in my uh, you know, it takes up room in my studio, but then yeah, you know, the piano's gone, the marimbas, I think, almost gone. Cause... Makes a good table though, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's I mean, that's the that's the sad fact is that it mostly just like houses <laughs> like all the like sheet music and stuff right. or you know like i look over and like just all these piles usually and then if i want to play it i have to clear it all off yeah <laughs> that was a pet peeve of uh when i was in getting my master's uh everybody would say the marimba is not a table it's an instrument stop putting your crap on it <laughs> <laughs> but it makes such a good table yeah totally like, all this, <laughs> like real estate on here i can just all right. spread out <laughs> <laughs> well music is safe sheet music is fine um all right so this is uh a song off of um, Shane Shane's solo album, Child Asleep in the Rain, Chest Cavity Portal.
We're back here with Shane Parrish. And I really appreciate your time today, Shane. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, so I'm glad we had the chance. Um, what do you yeah, have? Thank you so much. I really it was great fun. Thank you. Oh, awesome. What do you have coming up in the future? Um, no gigs. Oh um, yeah, obviously. Because no, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm just kind of working on. I recently weirdly gotten into Alan Holdsworth and uh, oh, yeah? which yeah which is like I would I cannot uh, even like five years ago I, I can't imagine I couldn't picture myself doing that. <laughs> but but I'm just like so like flabbergasted and, and so I, I've been listening to that a lot um and, yeah he's awesome and oh, yeah, it's amazing yeah I love what you did with Bill Bruford back in the um the 80s it was awesome oh cool I'll yeah. have to check it out I'm just like kind of deep diving all these recordings right now but like but anyway I'm kind of like working on towards a new Lucci's record and uh and yeah number of releases coming out was come uh, I have a record called Library of Babel that's coming out mm-hmm. it's the second record of this trio I play with Emily Honeycutt on cello and Frank Meadows on upright bass and mm-hmm. we did a record a few years ago and this this album is coming out um is um called uh Sing to Me of and it's about uh, and Emily sings on it also, and it's it's our take on uh, sacred harp oh, repertoire. Yeah. Um, and, so the shape uh, note singing. Yeah, the shape note singing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, with but it's like instrumental, yep. mostly arrangements. Emily sings some of the tunes, mm. um, and and uh, and so it's our kind of like our arrangements of of the, the of that that stuff. Oh, that's and, great! Uh, I kind of came up on some of that around here. You know, my parents are really into it. Um, oh, cool. And uh, I've always loved the harmony of shape note. Uh, and yeah. I've can't, I can't really put my f- finger on it, you know, music theory-wise. What is it that makes the, this harmony sound different from everything else? Uh, I mean, maybe it's just like parallel intervals, you know, that, right, right. that, that technically aren't, you know, allowable in, in theory. But, you know. But they sound good. They sound good still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like all the, all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. I tell my students that like everything I'll ever tell you, the opposite is equally true. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, learn the rules so you can break them, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Shane. Well, I really appreciate you, man. I can't wait to see you back on the stage. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. That does it for another edition of the Asheville Sound. I want to thank Shane Parrish for joining me today. Please check out all of his projects on his Bandcamp site, which I'll have linked to this page. Until we meet again, y'all take care now.
Virtual live streaming online music lessons are here. Need to brush up on your guitar skills? Improve your singing voice? Remember how to play that old dusty piano in the corner? Well, Asheville Music School has got you covered. They teach students of all ages, yes, adults too, and skill levels, and any style of music you're into. Visit AshevilleMusicSchool.org to inquire and learn about dozens of great music teachers. Asheville Music School is a nonprofit organization strengthening Western North Carolina communities through music education and outreach. Once again, visit AshevilleMusicSchool.org for all your music learning needs.